I knew with Pepper bringing her in that I thought, all right, the rule of threes, right? Three days, three weeks, three months. I need to make sure that I'm giving her time to decompress. I need to make sure that in order to integrate her well, it's slow and lots of barriers and lots of calm interactions with each other and everything. When I tell you that went out the window the very first night, (laughs) (laughs) because balance that, all of that good, excellent advice with, you have to know the dogs that you're working with. Welcome back to Telltale Dog, the podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein. And I have with me again, Kate Hosier, who is a dog trainer based in New Jersey and who has three pups of her own, Huckleberry, Tom, and Pepper. Kate was previously on the podcast for the Enrichment series, and I wanted to have her back on to start a new series around managing a multi-dog household. Hi, Kate. Welcome back. How are you? Hi, good morning. Great. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, I'm so glad to have you back. So you jumped into a multi-dog household with bringing home the boys who were, who are brothers who were found wandering as strays. Was that a big adjustment? Just having the two off the bat? Yeah. um, So it's Huckleberry and Tom Sawyer, (laughs) which were their shelter names and we loved them and we kept them because we thought it was super cute. It was definitely more of a challenge than we expected, but also less of a challenge than we were maybe prepared for. They um, came together as a bonded pair, which I know that there's some people feel that bonded pairs don't actually exist and some people feel like they are valid. So, you know, whatever, but they both um, definitely relied on each other. So knowing that we wanted dogs that were going to keep themselves occupied because my husband and I both have really long schedules um, was important to us. So the fact that they were kind of a package deal from the shelter was what we were looking for anyway. And how long did you have them before you added Pepper? We had them for two years and then we added Pep into the mix. Um, That was, we got them in 2014 in the summer and then she came home with us in 2016, also in the summer. Okay. And what was the thought process behind adding a third? Did you fall in love with her and add her? Was like, it's time for a third dog. What did you go through with that? Yeah, honestly, we fell in love with her. I've actually fell in love with a different dog. (laughs) a few months before we saw her and wore my husband down (laughs) because he was adamant (laughs) about not adding a third into the mix. So then when Pep showed up and I became very obsessed with her social media presence because the rescue that she was with Paws did an excellent job marketing her, shared it with my husband. We brought the boys to go meet her and it went super well. And she won him over from the second that he met her. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm fully convinced that if there's a dog that people are really trying to market is just share their story. I see so much of, of rescues and, and nonprofits going, trying to tug on the heart strings of people like this dog was abandoned and, and, but why not just share who that dog is? Why do we need to, you know, make it so much about the trauma they've been through. Let's just see who they are and let it resonate from there because that's what I fall in love with. I fall in love with personality. I don't fall in love with a tragic backstory. (laughs) Yeah, same. No, she, there were pictures of her with staff's glasses on, wearing little crowns and just knowing, having known the boys for two years at that point and all of their quirks and habits and needs and thinking she seems really chill. 
feel like maybe she would be able to manage the the wildness that occasionally comes out with the boys <laughs> and hold her own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then truly, and I can certainly send you this link so that you can have it also. Uh, they did a slow motion video of just kind of shaking her whole face because she's very jowly (laughs) and it was super cute but also again knowing that she was in a stressful environment working primarily with volunteers and some staff members but you know a rotation of people and that she was not at all worried about having her face shaken Mm -hmm. you know no stress signals nothing no concerns I went this is a special dog like we need to we need to see if she can ride out some of this chaos with us and see how she does Yes. And we've, we've talked about this in the previous episode, which I'll, I'll link to as well, but you've been able to build on that social media presence and then even further on TikTok and her bringing in some money. <laughs> Very small amounts, but yes. <laughs> yeah. so, so she's earning her keep, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you do an awesome job because it's just, there's something about her. Like the boys are super fun to watch, but whenever Pepper shows up, I'm just like, oh, there she is. <laughs> Yep. She has that effect. (laughs) She's so cute. The big, I had a laugh when you were talking about taking them on walks, whereas the boys are like, yep, time to go home. Sure. When, when the timer on your phone goes off, Pepper just like gets in her stance and she's like, no, (laughs) she plants hundred percent. And you know what? And I talk about that in the classes that I teach too, that when we talk about um, like teaching recall, and how important recall is and how, you know, you always want to pay up for it because you want that to be a hundred percent skill. So you need to a hundred percent pay for it, but also you have to practice it in times where recall doesn't mean the fun is over. Cause that's what happens with my Philly classes is they bring their dog to the dog park. They're jazzed about their recall. It works super well. The only time they say the recall word is when fun is over. And so the dog knows the cue. They just run the other way. Mm-hmm. Pepper's the same way. She knows that. She hears it. Her ears flick. And then she goes, nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plants. <laughs> yep. And I, it's really interesting to see because I have my two little dogs, Jeeves and Lexi. I trained Jeeves before I became a dog trainer. And I was really stuck on like that alpha, I'm in charge mentality. He will not leave dog parks with me. He, he's like, nope, goodbye. <laughs> I'll see you later. Whereas when I call Lexi, she's like, on it, let's go because I reinforced it so differently and I made it so non, yeah, it's non-contingent for her. It's just, she's like, come see me. Okay. Goodbye. Okay. Come see me. Okay. Goodbye. And now we go. She's like, great. And it really makes a huge difference. And when we become a party to our dogs and we can really help break down that, uh, the association, basically, it's so much easier to work with them and communicate with them. Yeah. We talk about it in terms of fire drills. Mm. so that it's you practice you practice oh this time it's real (laughs) yeah yep (laughs) that's awesome yeah it makes it makes a big difference well so you found pepper everybody fell in love with her she met the boys it went well how did you manage that integration with her so for sure bringing the boys home was my first introduction to you know pitbull mixes and the club that I didn't know I was inadvertently joining um (laughs) with some of those quote-unquote dangerous dogs that you know You have to be a little bit more on point. You have to be a little bit more with your training just because people are watching. They're waiting for you to make a mistake as opposed to giving you the benefit of the doubt if your dog was a little bit fluffier. Mm -hmm. So, and Pepper certainly coming in looking like the little bread box with legs that she is, Mm -hmm. low rider pity with her cropped ears from her previous life and everything. So knowing that and then being a little bit more aware of what goes into rescue dogs as opposed to 
puppies maybe that you're getting or dogs that you're getting from breeders or dogs from known situations that still do need that decompression time, but maybe don't need it as much mm -hmm. or, um, coming from a home-based foster versus pep and the boys both came from either the shelter or shelter based rescues. Mm -hmm. So not being in a home environment, not having that decompression time. So I knew with pepper bringing her in that I thought, all right, the rule of threes, right? Three days, three weeks, three months. I need to make sure that I'm giving her time to decompress. I need to make sure that in order to integrate her well, it's slow and lots of barriers and lots of calm interactions with each other and everything. When I tell you that went out the window the very first night, <laughs> <laughs> because balance that, all of that good, excellent advice with, you have to know the dogs that you're working with. So yeah. my friend came with me because my husband was working. So my friend came with me, we walked Pepper around my neighborhood. And then we walked the boys around the neighborhood while I brought Pepper into the house so she could sniff and then brought her back out of the house. The boys went in, smelled that she'd been there. We did a walk with all of them. So that way we had a little bit of parallel walks. And then I put her in a crate because I thought, you know what? She was in a crate at her, at the, um, excuse me, the rescue location. So I'll put her in the crate. And we were in a three-story townhouse at the time. So she was upstairs. And we were in the basement. I was in the basement with the boys waiting for my husband to get home. And when I tell you that Pepper scream howled the whole time that she was separated from us, oh, no, this is ridiculous. So my husband came home. I was curled up under a blanket in the basement, oh, no. totally distressed by the whole thing. And of course the boys were also a little like, what is happening? There's noises. Um, so after that first attempt at trying to give her a decompression time, she was in the mix um, <laughs> yes. and we had enough space and um, a little like cutout behind where our couch was that was a a separation space to kind of just calm down so we like put some chews back there and some sniffy licky things so that that way if anybody of the three of them got a little extra mm -hmm. and hectic <laughs> we could just kind of shuffle them back there and be like you need to take a break you're not managing this very well and then just being very on top of limiting interactions with them. So it was very active. I didn't sit down very much mm -hmm. when it was me and the three of them when we were all home. When not supervised, she was in the crate in the bedroom, doors were closed. Um, boys didn't have any access to her when unsupervised. Mm -hmm. But we tried. We tried to do three days, three weeks, three months, and yeah. she said, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And I'm laughing too, because that's, that also happened. I just brought home, you know, my new dog and it's been two and a half weeks and also a very similar process, but I got Lexi two years ago. She's my nine pound toy Fox Terrier. And the first day I had her, I was just going to foster her for a week, but the first day I had her, I'm like, she has to stay in the bathroom. I'm not going to let her meet Jeeves. She needs to relax, decompress. When I tell you this tiny little dog forced her way out of the bathroom between my legs and was like, nope, here I am. And I could do nothing to stop her. She was like determined to be with me and Jeeves. And she was just very confident in it. I was like, okay. And I think sometimes it's, it's so important. I think in those moments to understand dog body language, like you said, you know, the dog you're with, and then the forced breaks, if you need to, is also important my second dog that I brought home, I tried to keep her in another room, like, like with pepper crated and yep. Screaming 
unhappy, not okay. So the second night, instead of doing that, I just leashed her and she could join us on the bed. And that was really helpful. So I found like leashing her to force a stop because her and Lexi are, you've mentioned Thunderdome with your three. I'm <laughs> seeing that with them too. <laughs> so it's like, nope, we have to stop now guys, because you're both unhappy and neither of you is willing to end it. So we're going to stop it. Yeah. Those cues are essential. I started doing a take a break cue within the last couple of months where it's just a food scatter. So knowing that my three Huck has some resource guarding, which totally fair, natural behavior, totally fine. I don't like people touching my stuff either. I get it, but it does just need to be managed with toys that have food, but not the food itself. Interesting. I don't know why, but I'll take it. So I can do a kibble scatter with, of course, Pepper has horrendous allergies. So her allergy um, or her, excuse me, her um, hydrolyzed protein kibble. So she has prescription kibble that she gets. So I can do a treats or a food scatter with that paired with that, take a break. And then they all come out of play. Um, even though they're all seniors, the boys are at least nine and Pepper is definitely 11, but you wouldn't know it. <laughs> Based on how rambunctious they all get with each other. But for sure, managing all of those arousal levels and knowing that the boys have terrible play skills anyway, just because their socialization periods are a big old question mark. They were strays and they have terrible social skills, <laughs> but being able to interrupt that nicely and calmly and then adding in the sniffing and the seeking and the foraging to redirect, really redirect that focus has been so helpful. It, and it's, it's a process. So how long would you say it took you to really get to know Pepper and see how well she got along with the boys? Huh, I feel like I'm still doing it, to be honest, <laughs> right? Because they're all aging. So now it's, it's some of their dynamics are changing. The way that they interplay off of each other is, is different. We moved in December 2020, which none of them had lived with us in anywhere else. So it was the first time that they've moved. And we went from a very quiet offshoot of a cul-de-sac no traffic to a quiet, but still used street. Mm -hmm. And the Huck in particular is still struggling with some of the noises and everything. So he'll hop up and bark. So we definitely use the thank you protocol, which mm -hmm. I cannot stress enough for people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> one and of my very favorite things. Yeah. Can you explain what that is and how you use it? Yeah, of course. So the thank you protocol briefly is um, your dog barks. You thank them for barking. You scatter some food. The idea is... And, and clients all the time are, aren't you reinforcing barking? You're not. The reinforcement for the barking is that the noise stops. So the dog thinks there's a noise. I barked. I scared it away. Good job for me. I protected the house. Um, and the food is just an added bonus in that moment, but it redirects their focus at that time. So instead of continuing to bark, which in my house with multiple dogs, and I'm sure you're seeing this too. One starts, <laughs> second one starts. Now everybody's yelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the humans yelling just adds to the noise. Right. And then everybody's, everybody's yelling what's happening. <laughs> so in order to avoid all of that, the second that I hear that noise, I wait to see how they kind of are responding. If Huck is struggling, then I thank him for barking because he's a big dog. He's the reason why we don't need an alarm system because he's very loud. And so I thank him, scatter some food. And then I can hand food to Pepper and Tom at this point because they don't start barking anymore because they're like, oh, it's fine. It's no problem. Mm -hmm. um, so it interrupts and it decreases the intensity, the duration, the frequency of all of the barking that's happening. And then there's a classical conditioning component too, where you hear a sound means cookies are now coming, which is beautiful, but I don't need to nerd out that deep <laughs> in yeah, your podcast yeah. today. Yeah. So I feel like I ranged really far afield from what your oh, original no, no. question was. You're, you're fine. And I do get that question a lot too about what are you reinforcing? 
And it's important to add in here, the function is important to consider. So if your dog's barking at you because they really want a treat and then you hand them a treat, yes, you reinforce the barking. But most of the time we don't do that when dogs are barking because barking has a function. So you're in a new house and you're managing all three of them. Do you have a typical schedule for your day? I don't. And that's probably one of the bigger issues that we're working through right now. So uh, last year when I did have a regular schedule, but of course with shutdown and COVID, I was working for a school district. So sometimes I was remote. Sometimes I was in work, um, gone for the full day. My husband was home the whole time. We actually had to hire a trainer because Tom was exhibiting some pretty significant um, separation distress behaviors. Okay. I wouldn't call it separation anxiety because we didn't actually get it diagnosed um, by a medical professional, but he was definitely upset um, and worried. He was throwing up multiple times per day. We got him cleared by the vet as far as physically, there was nothing wrong with him. So then we worked with a trainer, specifically a certified separation anxiety trainer that we'd sought that out to make sure that we were really addressing and honing in on that. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, because I am a dog trainer, plus I'm a behavior analyst. So, you know, I have lots of experience. I just didn't have experience with this. We didn't need to do, excuse me, full on training with um, the departure trainings and, you know, the, the data collection, which part of me was sad to miss out on because <laughs> I'm a nerd for graphs. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Tom just needed us to do a few tweaks. So that was last year. Um, we added some medication on board. He was doing great. Everything was wonderful. Recently, because my schedule is now wildly unpredictable, mm -hmm. he's back to struggling a little bit. And I think because Pepper is older now too, again, she's 11. Um, we're going to be talking to our vet next month at her appointment about um, aging and how that maybe is playing out with her as far as her um, cognitive abilities. She's having a harder time when I leave. So watching the two of them and then they kind of both feed off of each other. So they both stress each other out and get each other amped up. And then Huck is on the other side on the other couch going like, leave me alone. <laughs> want nothing to do with you. Both, you're both wild. I want nothing to do with either of you. But when we first moved in, uh, we went from, again, a townhouse that was multiple levels, but lots of doorways and gateable areas. Now we have one big rectangle. It's an open concept. So my first priority was to find, we got X-Pens that accordion fold to store. And we have those two that they're just out in the house now, ready to be moved across whatever needs to be moved across. So if I'm leaving and I just need to gate off certain areas because Pepper, when she gets stressed, chews on trim. It's a whole thing with her allergies. She has to wear a cone for her allergies right now. So now she can't engage in the appropriate toys because there's bones everywhere but she can't reach those because she's got the cone on so mm. then when she gets stressed out she goes for the trim so we gate off those areas and then making sure that there's plenty of other toys available just in case the <laughs> the wind moves her to do that and then all the noise and stuff making sure the tv is on but really like the big rectangle was a big moment for me to think i need to change up all of the management that we had place in in the last house and we need to rethink a lot of this stuff so what are some of the things that you wish you had done differently with integrating? That's a really good question. I don't think I've ever thought about that. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot that I would have done much differently, um, only because everything's worked out really, really well. I am grateful for the time that we took with the boys. So taking those two years to get to know them, I think was super important not only because of getting to know them, but also improving my own personal skills with reading body language to be able to accurately assess what's going on. Uh, again, because the boys, their socialization period was a huge question mark. So they 
don't really have dog friends <laughs> because they don't throw off cues very well to other dogs. Their communication is kind of a mess. And I have, I've showed videos of them playing and their play initiation and their play maintenance and um, to other trainers and trainers have gone, if I saw another dog do that, like that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. a lot of when Pep first came home was honestly desensitizing her to their terrible language with each other mm-hmm. <laughs> being like no actually that's okay pepper <laughs> like, yeah so they really did as bad as it looks yeah i've heard before like um sometimes with bonded dogs is or dogs from the same litter they develop their own twin language which works for them but doesn't work for anybody else <laughs> yeah definitely have seen that a hundred percent because when huck is never really that interested he wants to investigate other dogs but he doesn't want to be investigated so he wants to gather information and then kind of peace out versus tom who really really wants to play with everybody but comes on super strong and he has leash reactivity because he really wants to go play and barrier frustration because he really wants to go play and all of that comes out as barking lunging terrorizing whatever dog it is that he's trying to get to um and i don't pepper just likes to have them check in with her play all that much with anybody and she hasn't for a while and certainly not now she doesn't even really play with the boys all that much anymore because she's dignified old lady she's like I'm retired leave me alone (laughs) you get two minutes and that's it but certainly when she first came home she was five they were four ish so you know certainly young enough to definitely get in the mix with each other and just really teaching her that it was okay the way that they were playing with each other the noises they were making with each other the very strange body language and facial expressions they were throwing at each other, which again, if you were to watch them, you'd be like, that's terrible, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it works for the two of them. Um, and so now she's actually much more rude than she used to be <laughs> because their play initiation styles are just barking each other's faces until <laughs> the other one decides that they've had enough and then they all launch at each other. So now she does that, but I don't know that there's a whole lot that again, to bring it back to answer your question, I don't think there's a whole lot I would have done different only because I think that they all settled in really nicely because I was able to help them settle in really nicely. What are some of the things that you were really glad that you did with the integration? Following their lead. I'm glad that we didn't force Pepper to be separate because I think that would have caused, now that we're running into all this separation stuff here, I'm wondering if that would have made it worse for her from the jump even when we first brought her home, if we had really kind of tried to force that issue, trying to make sure that I give them all individual time. Certainly now I'm a, I walk for probably about an hour every morning at this point, because everybody gets, they get their 10 minute timer Mm -hmm. (laughs) where they get to pick the direction off the front porch. They want to go across the street, left, right, whatever they get to pick, unless I see that there's a specific reason. Like there were turkeys a couple weekends ago off the right side. And I went, we're going left. We're not dealing with all these turkeys. We're not going to do this. But normally they get to pick which direction they go. They get the 10 minutes to kind of do whatever they want. And then we turn around and work our way home as long as it takes. And each of them get to do that at their own pace, which is nice. So having the individual times really working on place training or like mat training or any of that. So that that way, when I do want to do individual training with them, I could just pull the one magic mat out and then everybody rushes it and wants to lay down on it because they have such a strong history of getting paid to do nothing on that mat. Mm -hmm. And then I can call them all out individually in order to work on whatever specific stuff I want to work on, which is great. I think those are probably the two biggest. And then again, the management. So physically assessing my space to see what do I need, knowing that Huck definitely needs to be gated off from everybody if he has some sort of enrichment toy Mm -hmm. and 
also knowing that then everybody wants to inspect everybody else's when they're all done with them. Mm -hmm. And so letting them all out after that's done, because otherwise that causes frustration too. Yeah, just getting to know my dogs has been probably the best. Do you do enrichment every day with them? Not as much as I kind of wish that I did, no. Um, But it's also because they're all older. And so they spend a lot of the time. So for example, it's noon. And we walked at, I was back in the house by nine o'clock and they are all passed out still. All three of them, even (laughs) while we're chatting. Yeah. (laughs) So because they're all older and they don't need, their needs aren't as great as they were when they were younger versus Mm -hmm. when they were younger. Yeah. We had all kinds of stuff and I still have, you know, I have my shred toys that they only get with supervision. So the stuffed ones with the squeakers and all that kind of stuff or like, which the, and we have longer lasting chews that are in that mix. And so like the supervision, you get these things for 20 minutes and then we clean up and we're done. I was able to find a ball pit and balls at a yard sale for super cheap. Everybody gets a chance with that, you know, kibble scattered in there and then they get to sniff and dig for that. But really because they're all older, I don't have to do as much in order to make sure their needs are met. But I do notice if, if I don't go for the walks those days, if it's a rainy day or whatever, usually I'll get one. One rainy day, they're still going to be content and fine. Two rainy days, they're all a little bit cabin fever. And (laughs) so then we do um, more enrichment stuff. Well, okay. I think that was all the questions I had for you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? We only really had two incidents, which I think is important to talk about when we talk about multiple um, dogs. And especially since most people will see us on social media and I do try to share the hard days, the same way that I share the, the good days, because I don't want people to think that it's super, super easy to just manage the circus that we have in yeah. our house. Yeah. We have our things and our systems are in place and everything's great. But then if your system breaks down, some things can happen. We've had twice where Pepper has launched at Tom and both times were the initial, from what I can remember, the initial was he yelped in pain about something. The first time he got his foot caught on one of our poop bag holders, Mm -hmm. everybody's leashes weren't a tangle. I had, it was our old house. So we didn't have an attached yard. Everybody was piled into the car. When I'd get home from work, we'd go up to Grammy's house for her yard. (laughs) They'd run around, we'd play, and then everybody would go back in the car, drive them home. And I would walk just the three of them straight into the house. Mm -hmm. So their leashes were all in a tangle. I dropped it. I was turning to leave to go close the car, put the ramp back in the car, you know, lock everything up. And I heard them all get very hectic um, in a pitch that I hadn't heard before. So I turned right back around and they were all caught together. Their stuff was all tangled. Pepper was really very much so going after Tom. And I was, fortunately, my husband, um, it was early in the morning. My husband woke up as he heard all the chaos. So he was able to help me separate them, but because they were all in their equipment, I couldn't even just simply separate. So I literally picked her up and tossed her over a baby gate. All 55 pounds of her. Yeah. <laughs> because you get hu- superhuman strength in moments of adrenaline. Yeah. Like, gotta take um, care of this. Yeah. And so, you know, I was, of course, very upset about it. Everybody was upset about the whole thing. So, in order to recover from that, she stayed back behind a barrier. We just fed everybody some high value food. We took everybody's equipment off. They stayed separated asked for a few known easy cues. Everybody seemed to have shaken everything off and been ready to go and then let her back into the mix. And she was fine. They were fine. Nobody had any hard feelings. I want to share those moments too. And I appreciate you sharing yours because it is important that 
we don't have like this, you know, all roses and rainbows when it comes to dogs. Dogs are hard, especially when you're trying to meet their needs. One dog is hard and then you add in multiples and it just gets even harder. So it is important to share those moments of like, oh yeah, this was really rough. <laughs> so working through that. And it was really scary um, for sure yeah. because it was yes. definitely, I had never heard her get upset like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and only one time since that, I think that time somebody stepped on Tom's tail and he yelped and she went, no, ah! mm-hmm. there was no equipment involved to kind of separate everybody as they needed to. But just even knowing that that's something that I need to watch out for and be very aware of. And I'll be honest, it made me consider creating them when they're, so because they're not, when when we're gone, they, they all have range of the house. But it is something that I've been concerned about because for sure, any mix, right, of any mm-hmm. set of dogs, somebody can get their feelings hurt and it can turn pretty quickly. Yep. Um, and just wanting to make sure that they're all safe. But we did great training, totally wrong for the boys. So they have very big negative feelings about it. And so then kind of, again, weighing pros and cons. And because my schedule is so light right now, I, it's not, I'm not gone very long. So it's not worth it to us to put in the time and the energy that we would need to, in order to have them be okay created mm-hmm. when I'm out of the house. But it is for sure something that definitely plenty of multi-dog households swear by as peacekeeping. And that's beautiful. Absolutely. And it's just, you can have the nicest dogs and things can always go wrong. It's just life, right? It's not that we can, dogs. yeah, they're that's dogs. It it's they're, life. It they're happens. predatory animals. <laughs> yeah. They're, and I mean, and they were I don't know if they were ever intended to be live in homes the way. Oh, got her hackles up in her sleep. Oh. Oh. She's dreaming about yelling at Huck. Yelling at somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, it is really interesting when we try to bring them into our homes and, and to deal with it. And something I try to walk people through is there's no bad or good behaviors. There's no moral in it, in what they do. It's just what works or how they're feeling or what happens. And learning that and managing it is I think the key to keeping every, everybody as safe as possible, even if we can't prevent bad things completely. Yeah. A hundred percent. Knowing which toys are maybe going to evoke some resource guarding, making sure that those aren't out when I'm not there to supervise. Understanding that on days where the pollen count is super high and Pepper's just really not feeling it, that I need to protect her a little bit more when the boys jump into WrestleMania. Then I'm like, nope, she's on base. She's with me. She's going to be over here and being faster with my take a break cues so that that way they're interrupting their play more often so that that way they're not getting to those hyper arousal levels, listening for the tone of their vocal interactions to shift and be like, mm, don't like that. Let me interrupt this and get you guys back down to a volume and, and a tone that I feel is safer <laughs> for everybody. And I love that you bring up, you know, kind of a work in progress, right? Figuring out, oh, let me adjust this because I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as human beings to do everything perfect right off the bat. And you, we are learning and we are adjusting like, oh no, he resource guards that toy. Let's make sure we protect that next time. That's so important instead of just being so hard on ourselves of like failing or not doing it perfectly the first time. Yeah. Cause they're changing too. I mean, everything's, it's all information. Mm-hmm. And certainly when you said about the morality or red lack thereof, right? Because dogs don't operate ethically the same way that humans do. Yeah. And just acknowledging that and rolling with it and trying to similarly not blame myself if something goes sideways and just take the information to say, I'll do better next time. Yep. Yep. Sorry. She's, <laughs> she's getting fussy. Oh my goodness. Why are you so fussy? <laughs> Yeah, I'm realizing she has some pretty severe crate anxiety, so we have to work on that too. But 
All right, Kate. Well, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks so much for doing this. I am going to do the sign off and then at the end, I'll have a question for you. This has been Telltale Dog, the podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, certified dog trainer in Central Arkansas. And my guest today, dog trainer, Kate Hosier. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago of Seven Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify and stick around for after the music for some final advice from Kate. Kate, before we sign off completely, what advice do you have for someone considering at adding one or maybe a couple more dogs to their home? Excellent question. <laughs> do it very intentionally and make sure that you're not just having your heartstrings tugged by a very sad dog. We came very close to a fourth actually this past summer. Oh. Uh, there was a little deaf pit bull puppy who had come to a couple of my classes, was being fostered, and we both loved her very, very much but we were very intentional about what are our current needs? What are our current routines? And I have three senior dogs now. And so their energy levels are not as high as they used to be. And I needed to remind myself <laughs> that that was the case mm -hmm. before adding in to say, oh, do I really want to disrupt our routines this much? Yeah, the puppy's super cute. She's very smart. She's learning super quick, but do I really want to have to add in potty training? and all of the needs that are going to come with a special needs dog or um, any of those things. So really just evaluating what is your life like now? How do you anticipate it changing if you were to add this second, third, fourth, whatever dog into the mix um, and finances to make sure that you have enough for preventatives, for food, for all of the extra enrichment toys that you're going to need a whole new bunch of sets of because you had the previous number. Just be intentional and thoughtful about it.